Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just uh, recently, I had the opportunity to travel to Queensland in the northern state in Australia. So, of course, at this present time, um, with the um, COVID virus spreading, there's been a lot of uh, travel restrictions. But uh, uh, there was a moment when uh, we were allowed to travel from New South Wales up to uh, Queensland, and um, so I took that opportunity to enjoy the warmer climate. And one of the things I wanted to look at was uh, and visit were the different um, dinosaur museums that are located in Queensland, and quite a lot of quite large dinosaurs um, have been found in in North Queensland. Uh, about the time that we travelled up, it was reported in the literature that a, a very large um, uh, uh, pterodactyl uh, had been found. This giant uh, flying reptile had uh, the remains indicated had a wingspan of about seven metres, which was huge, and its uh, sort of uh, head. Uh, was about a metre long or maybe even a little bit longer looking at the uh, picture of the uh, paleontologist holding the um, model of the skeleton that was found. And so I was quite fascinated to go and and visit um, different areas in in Queensland. There's a big museum not far from Winton, uh, another one at Richmond, another one at uh, Hewenden. And when we were at the... um, Museum, I think it was uh, the one near Winton. I had a really, really good um, d- display there, and they also had a uh, showed a little film and a and a documentary on finding some of the remains. And it was very exciting to actually go in and um, touch the, I guess it's the femur or thigh bone of one of those. Um, giant uh, plant-eating dinosaurs that grow about 30 metres uh, long that used to wade around, we believe, in the, in the marshes. And uh, this bone had been um, preserved. It was an actual... The actual bone was there on display. They'd just coated it uh, with a protective layer so as people touched it, it didn't damage the bone. But it was very exciting to actually touch a, a real fossilised bone as opposed to a model of one and to see it in the real. In, um, and, and it was huge. But there, it was quite interesting as they showed um, a film in one of the museums um, and I can't remember quite clearly whether it was uh, the Winton one or not, but of how a number of these fossils uh, were found by a farmer and he was... Uh, on his property and he was simply walking along over the paddock and he saw this rock, what appeared to be a rock, sticking up out of the ground and when he went over he thought, oh, it's an unusual shape for a rock and it was actually the end of um, a thigh bone of one of these giant uh, dinosaur creatures. And as I, I thought about this and, and looked, it was in a, a rich uh, black soil plain Area, so in an area that they believe um, some time ago, maybe a, a thousand years uh, or a little more ago, um, or some time ago anyway, 
because the dates get very confused with the sort of secular dating system that they used. Um, it was a, an inland lake and, uh, of course, um, it's uh, no longer a lake there but there's this, the plain and, um, and, the, and the soil is, is there. And so the theory is, of course, that the dinosaur... Uh, died in the in the lake um, and yeah became fossilized. Now normally, of course, as these creatures would die in um, as creatures die in in lakes, they get eaten by other animals. So uh, the fact that this was uh, preserved and and that um, um, and as preserved, maybe it was because the bones were, were were so big that and they remained and then they became buried. I know fossilisation can occur fairly rapidly. Um, I may have mentioned it before that um, when I was uh, doing postgraduate studies at the University of Tasmania, a friend was doing his doctorate in the area of geochemistry um, of an old mining site in, in New Zealand. And he had found a partly fossilised um, prospector's shovel handle or pick handle and so part of the handle was still timber and part of the handle had been fossilised to to stone and so he decided to have the wooden part uh, uh, carbon 14 dated and I know we got the result back of it was um, 6,600 years old and I remember as we discussed this between ourselves and we looked at the report from um, the DIS, I think, uh, Department of Industry and Science in New Zealand. I think they did the analysis. Um, and we thought, you know, how can this European fossil um, shovel be that old? And so we know that uh, fossilisation can take place quite rapidly. And one of the things that interested me was the location that a number of these remains have been found there. They're quite close to, well, they're on the surface um, of where there was uh, this lake. And other, other areas are found in, in mudstones not far away. And the fact that these fossils, as I said, are in the surface material, in, in soil, on the, uh, on the surface, to me, and we know that the it was, it was only you know, thousands of years ago that the area was... Um, was a, a lake in that area. There seems to be evidence that way. This, again, just reinforced to me the overwhelming evidence that we have that these remains are, are quite recent. Um, just just the setting, um, and in many places it, you know, it astounds me that these remains are, are near the, the surface. We're finding them. Another classic example, of course, would be the specimens of, of whales, a whole pod of whales. I forget how many were, were in the actual pod. Um, it was, you know, maybe half a dozen or ten whale skeletons have been found on the tops of mountains in Peru. And they're on the surface. I've seen photos of them. Though they're exposed. The bones are exposed. And so these mountains have been lifted up. I mean, obviously, whales don't go up on the top of mountains. So the seas and the mountain activity have been, have been lifted up. And to me, this is just powerful evidence that we've had these massive disturbances on the earth very recently. 
and these remains have been preserved there. They're near the surface, and a massive, of course, um, catastrophic conditions have have um, killed these uh, animals, and um, and then perhaps been buried in the in the shallow lakes and and so forth. And we have the remains there but that was something that just really stood out to me that a number of these finds the remains were quite close to the surface um, or not that far down and uh, and especially finding the remains in soil Um, and we know of course that um, there are indigenous uh, stories that have have been preserved of animals that certainly fit a dinosaur description. Um, there's an article that sometimes you see portrayed in uh, on different creationist websites where uh, an indigenous man was asked to describe a um, a bunyip, and a, a bunyip, of course, is a is a a, a name for a you know, a big scary creature that lived in the in the past in a, in Australia, and um, the artist who drew drew the the picture and it was published in an Australian newspaper back in the eighteen forties, if I recall correctly. So quite, you know, before Darwin's theory and and so forth. And the description very closely fits that of um, the duckbill dinosaur that. Um, uh, we we know today. I can't remember the, um, the technical name for it, but you know these are, are just examples of uh, that you know corroborate with the Bible account of descriptions of of giant dragon-like animals and dinosaur-type animals that are mentioned in some of the books of the Bible. I think one of the the other interesting things that has come out very recently in support of this, of course, is the finding of vast amounts of of soft tissue in um, in uh, dinosaurs. In, in fact, a couple of researchers at the Institute for Creation Research, and you can Google that. ICR Institute for Creation Research, and they have a lot of good articles um, on their uh, place. But um, Dr. Brian Thomas and a, a colleague, uh, Brian Enhart, have been doing a, um, a review of peer-reviewed journal articles on surviving soft tissue biological materials, uh, including DNA, they can um, uh, be um, accessed again on the ICR Institute for Creation Research Science. And um, back in um, July 2021, there were 116 peer-reviewed research papers now reporting soft tissue uh, that and biological molecules, long chain biomolecules that have been preserved um, in rocks that are conventionally dated as millions of years old and and often tens of millions of years old, maybe over 100 million years old in the case of some dinosaurs. In fact, 58 of those research papers involve dinosaur remains and tissue that's been found includes DNA fragments. And, of course, these, these... biomolecules are, are quite um, fragile, really, uh, being long-chain molecules. And for them to be preserved 
um, for millions of years is just, it would seem thermodynamically impossible. And um, I know studies have been done that even with collagen under ideal conditions, it the structure wouldn't remain for you know for more than a hundred thousand years under ideal conditions. And uh, but one of the uh, recent ones that um, has been found was a um, a report that they actually found nerve tissue. Um, and this was in a report that was published in Microscopy Today um, back in March 2021, so only a few months ago. And um, Microscopy Today is a Cambridge University Press journal. And it, um, it was um, a report of uh, peripheral nerves that were found in bones of a triceratops. And, of course, these are those yeah, large um, three-horned dinosaurs that have sort of a big bony plate behind the head. And um, the uh, nerve tissues were found in the round bony projection on the skull that actually connects with the, the spinal column. And, um, and so it was... Um, and there's connective tissues around the nerve fibres um, which are, you know, in a network of protein, collagen, fibres. And so they actually found the, um, the nerve fibre sheath um, and nerve fibre fragments within the, um, the sheath, uh, within the bone. And so, again, you know, we're just accumulating evidence all the time that these... Um, remains that we're finding are, are not millions of years old. They're, um, you know, I, I think the evidence is just overwhelming. They're only thousands of years old. Um, and this, again, fits in with the biblical account, with the biblical account of the flood. Now, I remember seeing um, on uh, television um, some researchers from the University of London that were excavating a um, the uh, fossilised remains of a giant marine lizard, and it was conventionally dated at the um, during the Cretaceous period, uh, which you know ended about you know sixty seventy million years ago, according to secular dating. But these remains were on an island of very you know in the very northern uh, part of um, Norway and um, uh, quite up near the, uh, the, the North Pole there. And so there was actually only about a week during the whole year where the scientists could actually get onto the island where the weather conditions were good enough for them to work there and the, the ice was thin enough and so forth. And they had an excavator and they were uh, on the island digging down and this this skeleton there was just was preserved under the ice, and of course it had been, uh, you know, fossilized to a degree. But as I said, this mineralisation can occur very rapidly, as we saw from this prospector's handle that had been mineralised in less than a hundred years um, at the um, at the gold deposits. They were worked in the late nineteen eighties, and my uh, colleague was doing his research uh, back in the early nineteen seventies. Uh, in the uh, sorry, the mining was done back in the late eighteen eighties, and so you know that was a clear example to me of how this fossilisation can occur 
um, on just a, a slightly buried tool um, just in the in the ground there, uh, timber tool. So again, it seems to me that the fossilisation of these bones can occur you know, very quickly and even near the, the, the surface of the earth. It's interesting with the University of Lund um, marine uh, reptile that was found, they, they again found soft tissue in, that, uh, in the remains there. And those remains were carbon-14 dated and came back at 25,000 years, not the 60 million years. Now, it's very interesting that that result was not reported in the abstract. Um, the result, uh, those results were just reported as data, as findings uh, in the results section. And of course, they, I guess they were able to publish the paper because they um, said, well, you know, maybe there was some contamination of the, the sample. Uh, maybe there was some, you know, other bacteria, modern bacteria there that influenced the, uh, the date. But again, um, there was a, a paper published um, or at a um, uh, one of the big um, um, uh, geological survey conferences uh, that was held. I think, from memory, it was held in in Malaysia, uh, probably around about 2012, 2013, in which a, a paper was presented by some. Uh, European scientists that had actually radiocarbon data, carbon-14 dated um, about a dozen dinosaur remains from around the world. And in all of them, they found carbon-14 and all the dates uh, came back with this range, you know, 20 to 30,000 years. And as I've explained before many times, when we look at the carbon-14 dating, we need to understand that Carbon-14 dating is a really, really powerful tool that is supporting young ages for all these things as opposed to the long ages from the, the mineral radioactive dating. So when we date uh, the rocks with fossils, they don't usually have uh, radioactive uh, or sufficient quantities of radioactive minerals in them, so we generally date the lava flows above and below those um, Sections, or we compare the fossils from similar layers and uh, elsewhere, and those layers have uh, been dated uh, above and below by um, uh, radio da radiometric dating. And so, when we use these dating scales, whether it's potassium, argon, rubidium, cesium, uh, samarium, neodymium, lead, lead, uranium, lead, these um, uh, or uranium, uranium as well. Um, all those systems have very, very long half-lives and consequently we get millions of years um, when we date those rocks. But one of the very important characteristics that I think is a very important clue that we have major problems with that type of radiometric dating is that uh, it's just about all the examples that I've seen, if we have the same rock, depending on the system we're using, if it's potassium, argon or samarium neodymium, we will get different results for the same rock in terms of ages. Millions, sometimes tens of, of millions apart, sometimes even hundreds of millions of years apart. And so I think those results that we're getting really 
we have so much evidence they're not reliable. They're not the true result. The carbon-14 dating results are much more likely to be an accurate result. And we know from you know, the carbon-14 level, um, we have carbon-14 in the atmosphere. That carbon-14, uh, because plants eat food that contains carbon... I mean, animals eat plants that have the carbon-14 in them uh, already in it from the carbon dioxide they've taken in from the atmosphere. And, of course, um, once it's in the animal, it's no longer at, at equilibrium. And so when the animal dies, the the carbon-14 that is there is there, but it's slowly decaying away. At about five every 5,700 years, half of it decays away. So the fact that we find measurable carbon-14 in these samples means that at the most they must be less than 100,000 years old because after that amount of time, theoretically, there'd be no detectable carbon-14 left. And so the fact that we find the carbon-14 in these fossil remains confirms the young ages that we're finding with the soft tissue. And, um, and again... And some, of course, we say, well, you know, if you have dates of 30 uh, or 40,000 years or 25,000 years for these, it's still a lot older than the Bible dates, isn't it? Because we know from the Bible chronology that the, you know, the earth and creation was perhaps even not quite 6,000 years ago. And this, again, to many people seems, you know, too young. But we need to understand that the way carbon... 14 dating works is that we can't really use the current level of carbon-14 in the atmosphere because it varies. It varies on the cosmic ray flux. It varies on the amount of carbon-14 in the atmosphere and a lot of carbon carbon dioxide is generated by volcanoes and other activities, bushfires, all those sort of things. So uh, it it varies quite a bit, but as well as the cosmic ray flux, uh, which actually is the source of the carbon fourteen. The cosmic rays hit um, produce high energy. Uh, the, the cosmic rays are high energy protons, and these uh, charged particles they collide with other atoms and, re- and emit high energy neutrons, which collide with the nitrogen nucleus knocking out a uh, proton and changing that nitrogen nucleus into a carbon, a heavy carbon, a carbon-14, which is unstable. But it has now has the chemical properties of carbon and combines with oxygen, it becomes a carbon dioxide that's taken up by plants. But we know that the cosmic rays hitting the Earth depends on the strength of the Earth's magnetic field, and that has been changing significantly. And if it was higher in the past, and that's the evidence because we know over the past 150 years it's been decaying exponentially and we've decayed about 10% in that time of the field prior to that. The higher magnetic field is going to repel the cosmic rays, which means there's going to be low initial carbon-14, which gives us um, an accentuated, much older age on that Uh, because the original carbon-14 levels would have been much lower. So on the basis of interpretation, that automatically gives us long ages. 
And so when we try to correct for this, and we can't correct for it exactly, but we can do estimates. And when we try, when we do estimates and correct for these sort of uh, changes in in the levels, um, as predicted by the change in the Earth magnetic fields, um, and we know also in the past there were much uh, higher levels of plant material that are currently all the main you know coal seams and this sort of thing. The planet Earth was a lot warmer and lusher than um, it is today. Uh, again, when we take these considerations in, it seems that a reasonable estimate brings those ages back down to within the biblical timeline. And the same with the pushing up of mountains. I know this is another thing that I've noticed as I've, I've travelled to different parts of the world and we look at the mountains. And often when I'm flying in an aeroplane, I look at this and I can see these really steep mountains and you can see the erosion that has occurred and the uh, material that has been eroded away. And in many cases, what I'm impressed is, is the, these mountaintops aren't all that rounded. They're not smoothed out and we're not surrounded by deep valleys filled with sediments. They're very sharp um, the edges are sharp. Uh, the amount of material that's crumbled away as a result of uh, landslide or glacier action, these sort of things, is piled at the bottom. It's not that much. And in my view, just as we look at this, it doesn't fit the tens and hundreds of millions of years that is claimed by the radiometric dating. And it's fascinating, of course, and I think I've mentioned before, that when geographers look at the amount of material that is actually being carried away off the continents at the present time, the continents would have would erode away at the current rate in less than 10 million years. And yet we know rainfall was much higher in the past, so it would have been much shorter than that. But the continents hadn't eroded away. They're there. They're sitting there. They've got all these fossils in them. And so from everywhere we're looking... My view is, and especially as I said, I was impressed after going away and looking at these um, fossil remains in the different uh, displays, and uh, there was plesiosaur remains there. I think that was at Richmond. Wow, it was really spectacular. A giant one had been so well preserved. I think the skeleton, the actual real skeleton, was sent to Harvard University, and of course they only had a model there. But these remains that are being found so close to the surface and so forth and in such detail, and they're finding some, you know, so many of them now in Australia. When I put this all together with the uh, soft tissue, with the carbon-14 dating, with the apparent freshness of these remains, to me it all fits the biblical scenario that these are very recent, that we had this global catastrophic flood only, um, you know, thousands of years ago, four and a half thousand years ago. And it's interesting that, you know, secular geologists admit there were five or six global extinction events by water. They just space them out apart because they've got, as I said, that radiometric dating. But as I said, if we look at those radiometric dating results and the fact that we get this huge spread of results when we look at it, I, I think those ages are meaningless. The carbon-14 dating fits better. And when we look at the carbon-14 dating, that shrinks it all down to a very short time frame. And I think what the geologists are looking at, they're just looking at the one total global extinction event, a massive event of the worldwide flood that was described in the Bible. I think the evidence is overwhelming for it. 
Well, I think if we have the yeah, so much evidence for the flood, we have so much evidence that the Bible account is true. And, of course, the Bible account gives us the account for salvation through Jesus Christ as well. It's such an important book, the Bible. Well, you've been listening to Faith and Science. Uh, if you want to re-listen to this program, remember you can uh, just Google 3abnaustralia.org and click on the radio listen button and look up Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.